Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. All right, welcome back to Savage to Sage. I'm Daniel, the host. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Curtis Arbuckle, the founder of Arbuckle Robotics. Welcome, Curtis. Thank you, Daniel. Good to be here. I'd love for you to start just giving a quick overview of Arbuckle Robotics, what you're up to, and your multiple ventures. Yeah, sure. I am uh, from Indianapolis, born and raised, not going anywhere. The Arbuckle Robotics is our newest venture. For the past 15 years, I've ran and operated an audio-video integration company where we handle national, global, retail, restaurant, commercial accounts. And because of that company... I've had two opportunities here recently to take advantage of some emerging technologies and advantage of our relationships and our machine and start two new exciting entities, um, one of them being CK2, which is a weapons detection-focused company, and then um, Arbuckle Robotics as well. So we're uh, because of our AV team and our technicians around the world, uh, we got a pretty powerful machine to help take the emerging technologies to market. So we've uh, started two new entities, and Arbuckle Robotics is the newest and the most exciting. It is the world of autonomous robots. So thinking of R2-D2 type size, not arms cooking food or anything in the warehouse manufacturing or space, but these little guys running around doing all sorts of delivery or cleaning. It's taken me a while to get used to saying robots, but I think it's coming off the tongue a little easier now, but it is fun. Nice. Our mutual friend, Tony, who introduced us, I was talking to him about an event we're going to do soon this morning. He was saying that he thinks we would have drinks that would be delivered by robots. Would that be you? That would be me. Yes. Nice. All right. Well, I'll have that to look forward to, but that that's awesome. So talk a little bit quickly just about kind of the vanity metrics of your team so far. Like how many people do you have working with you? How many customers worldwide? Like where are you at right now? Yeah, we've got nine people uh, on board already. Um, we're, we're about a year into this venture, uh, maybe uh, five months of actually full force into the venture. But we've uh, focusing on all kinds of verticals and different markets. There's two robots that focus on cleaning, whether that's floor cleaning and one that's a disinfectant surface and air. And then we have a digital marketing robot as well. But then all the other robots are some sort of delivery function. Uh, whether that's food or um, anything from room service to medical supplies to medicine to shelving stocks in a store or back a house. It's uh, any sort of delivery you can think of. So we've got total of all involved. There's 10 of us right now on the team. And since we're new and it's an emerging technology, we're all over the place. Um, we're working with community health care right now on integrating our robots into their solutions and surgical centers. We've got local restaurants involved. We've got restaurants all around the country involved already from uh, serving food, which has started to pop up. But we're working with nationally and globally recognized brands all over right now, working on bringing robots to airports and casinos. There are a lot of airports and casinos that um, our robots will be in soon, and it's going to be really hard (laughs) for a lot of people to miss them, and shopping malls too. They're going to start to pop up in venues and shopping malls and airports and casinos. So that'll be where everyone starts to see them first. But certainly robots are 
becoming more and more popular in the food delivery space, as that's kind of where uh, the market maybe started. Um, but healthcare is a really big one for us. But airports and then venues are exciting as well. And a lot of those leak into some of our other businesses and customers that we have there. So it's a good partnership. I love it. Yeah. I I think after people hear this show, a lot of people are going to go and check you out because it's fascinating what you do. And today I wanted to dive more into your story as an entrepreneur. And first off, um, like, like I said before we started, you know, like we like to look at the evolution from Savage to Sage and everywhere along that journey with you and, you know, those growth points, hard times, failures that kind of got you to where you are today. First off, we like to start with like think back to the savage days of when you first launched, you know, your first company. And maybe, I mean, you can think back to it sounds like you've been doing it for a while. So um, you can think back to the beginning or when you decided I'm going to launch out with Arbuckle Robotics. Like, what was it that inside of you that knew, like, I got to jump out and, and do this? Yeah, I think when you say the savage days, I actually think back to late high school, early college. I went to school wanting to be a doctor because in my mind, it was do this and get this career. And uh, my father uh, pushed me otherwise. Uh, my father, my father's father, serial entrepreneurs, and that's just how our minds work. And my dad knew that. So uh, I think of Savage, I think of starting a young, I'm sorry, a Dippin' Dots ice cream franchise that we started in Lafayette, Indiana. And I would run and manage that. So learning about money, inventory, but learning expectations from people. Uh, Dippin' Dots, people are so excited and pumped up and kids are excited and it's expensive. And so those were a lot of good dynamics for me to learn young. And that eventually led me to changing my mind and getting out of med school and going the entrepreneurship route, which right out of school, right out of Indiana, um, is when my father and I started the audio video integration company that we have. So our very first customer was Abercrombie & Fitch. And it was Abercrombie & Fitch International. They had not done any stores outside of the US or in Europe or Asia or APAC UK yet. And we were tasked for bringing that, taking their stores all around the world. And so for about five years, Daniel, I was gone two or three weeks a month traveling and not only traveling all around the world, all outside of the United States um, is extremely good for someone to do. But I was 23 years old representing Abercrombie & Fitch, who's the most defiant and demanding customer in retail back then and still a little bit now. And I'd be 23 years old. I'm flying into Frankfurt, Germany to tell an 85-year-old German business owner that his technicians need to wear sandals and jeans and an Abercrombie shirt when they go in the store. And man, I, I grew up fast. So my goal was to build a national net or an international network of technicians. My father growing up was the president of the Americas for Bose Corporation. And so we took a model that my father had at Bose and thought, well, if we can do this internationally, then maybe we can do something. And, and so that's what we did. So I was traveling to build up our network of partners all around the world. And um, for initially for a while doing that just for Abercrombie & Fitch, who was the most demanding partner and company at the time. So I learned a lot. 
There's a lot of Savage. I was young. Plus, you're traveling. So from Dippin' Dots to school, straight into that, those are, man, those are my Savage years. I haven't thought about them in a while. Yeah. The first question that comes to mind was Dippin' Dots still the ice cream of the future back then? Or had they drop that part of their brand i'm pretty sure they dropped that from the branding yeah they <laughs> they, they went bankrupt at least once okay. but they did uh i believe they did drop that i think we were my wife and i were just talking about that actually but in uh late high school i had we had hundreds of gallons at my house so we were a pretty popular family for a while i think nice yeah that and that's crazy a, a first customer being abercrombie and fitch i mean you'd think it'd be some like for you, it'd be some local brand, you know, small opportunity, right. but that's that's a huge first opportunity. So describe what it was like. Just, I mean, obviously you're, you're traveling all the time, but how would you like characterize those, the days and what it felt like to be in that space, you know, in the savage days? Yeah, it was unique. There was a lot going on because it was an opportunity to build a company which at at a young age, I didn't know what happened right away. We kind of had a blueprint for how to do it, even though we knew it would be hard. I did have my father's name from the industry, which brought incredible credibility. But it was a combination of culture shock just from travel, traveling for a long periods of time, but then diving into business scenarios and weaving through building a company with different countries, different cultures, different languages while at the time trying to meet the expectations of a high-end, high-demanding customer. So I really got hit with all of it, um, from culture, business, personal, just travel, being gone, adjusting to that, and building a company while dealing with the industry giants. And over time, as we were successful, we, we saw opportunities for other things to come on board. And I believe our second customer was Hooters, nationally so in the u.s and so we were able to cut our teeth and learn on all the good and the bad of that and so after those years were over there's no doubt that it brought brought a lot to our company from a credibility standpoint but it's made everything seem a lot easier uh once you're traveling to ohio and not to beijing for work so yeah to answer your question it was really all over the place from being young kid in high value, high dollar situations with the CEO of Abercrombie, who was heavily involved. And then our, our model was finding, not just finding technicians that could work for us, but finding companies and partnerships that we would help them grow as we grew in from APAC U, uh, UK and all over Asia. And yeah, from forming partnerships to selling a product to meeting expectations to international logistics. And then just the business cultures all around. I got hit with all of it. And it was extremely, extremely valuable. Uh, My senior year at IU, a good friend did a speech that said there's no such thing as a business school and got in a little bit of trouble saying, you know, we don't maybe learn everything in school that we probably should. But Dippin' Dots was huge for me. And then I got thrusted into five years of learning pretty hardcore after that. Very thankful for it. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine you could talk for a while on like a lot of the lessons you learned during that time i'm curious a lot of times you know like there's a major failure or a failed experiment you know that becomes like a really great teacher for us that makes us kind of learn a lot about ourselves and to grow like do you can you recall like one or two examples of like one of those failed experiments or failures that 
was a good teacher for you? Yeah. The first one I think of really is with relationships and uh, relationships are crucial to us as a company now, um, especially when we work on a national account level. Um, you're highly involved and highly sticky to a customer. And we've got a lot of employees who constantly get asked or think like with Fossil, they'll think a lot of times people think I'm a Fossil employee. And that's kind of our goal is to be relationship based. But um, we're only as good as the people around us and our partners on the ground. And so I, I remember not navigating some relationships properly where setting expectations and demands of the end customer and then expectations and demands on my side. And I had some culture differences maybe sometimes, but I learned a lot of lessons of how how important it is to form a business relationship being genuine and not based off of a need or a force. Um, and if you're going to have a relationship, it needs to be pretty genuine. And and so there's give and take both sides. You don't know all the answers and they um, they don't know all the answers. And I think I maybe at times took expectations a little too rough and we were a little too demanding. And I think we probably lost a good partner or two along the way by not managing that right. So I, I definitely think I learned the value of a relationship and how to keep that relationship. Because in our world, there's the installation phase, you install something. But in our world, the most important part is uh, the years after. So getting finding the cheapest guy to do an install isn't right when you're looking for a true partner. Because when there's a problem for the next 10 years, we need to be a part of that. And so it's it's easy to give someone a lot of work where they do a big installation, but you need a partner that's going to help you take care of that customer forever. And that customer experience and customer service is why we're still the company we are today. And I think learning that through some of our partners was a huge lesson. Yeah, that's a good one. And I think sometimes, I mean, I, I did this in the early days too. You know, it can be easy when you're just getting your, your sea legs under you to think, okay, I got this sale, got this client or, you know, navigated this relationship. Now I'm good. And, you know, it can be, it can become very transactional. And, right. and I think I've, I've made some decisions in like in the short term without thinking about the long term as well, where I've, I think now I reframe every interaction that I have as like, what's in the best long-term interests of our company and this client and this person. And that's um, where relationship, I think, really hits. I don't know. Does that resonate with you in any way? Yeah, absolutely does. And you start rolling, you get confident, things start working. And the other thing I was thinking of when you asked is when you start a company, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? And um, it's really easy to start to keep wearing all those hats or to not give up control. And that's not really what it feels like at the time. But I think it's really easy to wear a lot of hats and then let things slide and to to let certain goals or relationships or certain things fall back because you're wearing too many hats and you really should be trusting that with somebody else. And And that's another hard part too about forming a relationship is it's hard to manage and control and own a relationship and then give that day-to-day of the relationship up. And so there's there are just a lot of nuances in that with customers and big and small that I learned. So yeah, that definitely resonates. Yeah. Talk more about that. I mean, I know some people come to that realization because they, they burn out trying to wear all those hats and they come to a point of just complete exhaustion where like, I, I can't do that anymore. And then I think the more evolved of us, I'm not there yet. Just realize, you know, 
okay, it's it's actually strategic use of my time. It's better for the client and it's better for our team, you know, for me to to hand this off. And so I'm curious for you, like, who are those early people that, you know, in that place you just mentioned that you knew like, okay, this person gets it and it kind of gave you the confidence to hand it off to them. It's actually really funny what you what you just said, because there's no doubt that, you know, even I with the AV company, which has been my sole focus for up until about a year ago, you get those hats on and you get in these ruts and you're handling things that you start to get overworked because you can't get everything, give everything 100%. And so now everything's kind of getting 90%. Well, because you aren't giving everything 100%, that's what makes you stressed and anxious. And and so I learned that lesson for sure, even still in the past several years. But I know that you know my father as a mentor, we are very similar and have a lot of the same attributes and know what we're good at. And then, and so our business partner in that AV company, he is the opposite of us in a lot of ways, but that's very, very good for us. And so when the weapons detection and the robotics company opportunity came up in the past year or so, uh, the exact conversation that we had was, we can't wear multiple hats anymore. We got to start this from day one, doing it the right way, bringing in... My, my grandpa told me, was, you just hire people that are smarter and better looking than you. And you'll be fine. <laughs> and I've said that my whole life, but I've never really done it. And so with with these opportunities, our exact words to each other were, who has the it factor? And um, Sean Dill, um, a mentor of mine, says they, hand, they hire people, not positions. And so we kind of took that route this time. And, and we knew that we would have to have a large team around us and a capable team and a team that I would have to give up time and responsibility to. I was just out of town and had our entire team at a very important meeting out of town. And it still feels strange for me to to not be involved in every single thing of everything we're doing. And so that's still a lesson to be learned. There's no doubt about that. But hiring people that had the they get it factor was important to us. And just funny, that's what you said. Yeah. Um, how do you define like the it factor? They they get it. You know, there there are a lot of things that I repeat all the time. And one of those is that once you've established credibility, people don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And so the people had credibility, either from relationships or just the nature of their career or success. And so it was those people that get it from a how much do you care standpoint. And that means working hard. (laughs) That means being genuine. And that means focusing on relationships and so there, there are those people that fit into how we operate and how we work. But it was uh, a lot of luck, a lot of relationship capital. I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason and things happen at the right time. And sometimes it sounds like I'm drinking Kool-Aid, but I'm pretty big on that. Um, so our team are people that almost everybody has really only come into our lives in the last year and a half, but they're special people. And they get our vision. I don't like to use the word culture of our company because that's overuse like synergy, but the culture of our company is is special and everyone on board gets that and cares about people. And when people care about people and they're genuine and honest, then as long as they've got that credibility, we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You said a lot of things there that I think we could talk about, but I um yeah, like building that relational equity, people that have that credibility because they care, I think there's and there's such a difference between that and somebody you know, maybe that's a technical expert or 
uh, you know, very knowledgeable on a subject, it's that's that only goes so far, you know, because a lot of times that person, if they don't truly care, I mean, they they can come off like an asshole and um, be be the person that Super nobody wants. Smart and they have all the answers, but may not be someone you want to work with. Yeah. yeah. How do you find those people? How do you kind of attract them to your why and, and your vision? You know, I, I think we've been really lucky. There's a man named David Meltzer, and he came into my life last December. And him and Sean Dill, I, I owe a lot to from kind of, they wrote an encyclopedia on life. And I feel like I've been reading the elementary school books version my whole life where I thought I had it, um, but they kind of helped open my mind up to uh, uh, maybe how to do it bigger and do it right. And, but part of that is the relationship of people I've had surrounding me. I've always said to my father, my father's friends and colleagues, and the nature of the circles that we're in. My relationship capital has always been a huge value and blessing to me. And Dave Meltzer and Sean really helped me learn how to utilize that and take advantage of that. And, you know, if you've got good people all around you, all it takes is what do you want? (laughs) Who can help you? And then just ask. So it's been a combination of people that we wanted involved and just flat out asked for them to join or asking someone to send people our way. And if you know someone that knows successful people, and then knowing people that have always been looking out for you anyway, just a combination of taking advantage of our own network. Our, our own close network. And everyone involved is no more than one friend away, which is kind of rare, convenient, but especially for the robotics and the weapons detection, it's kind of, it's just funny how things have fallen together in the last year and how even a, uh, involved in security is a, a good friend that I haven't talked to for 20 years from high school. And we find each other and um, what he's done for us has been incredible so far. So it wasn't traditional. It wasn't going online and looking for resumes. In fact, I started to look at a couple resumes and it just didn't even feel right for what we are and what we do. And so, yeah, it was a little little unique to get our team, but taking advantage of relationships is what we did. And maybe that's just asking someone we know is successful or asking someone to send a couple of people our way. Yeah, that's I love that. And I think in what you shared too, um, I'm thinking about this personally, but then also a number of clients and companies that we've advised as well, where they've taken a similar approach. And I think one of the biggest challenges is like, how do you move somebody from, you know, good friend to, you know, business partner? And it sounds like obviously being the foundation of your companies has been you, a partnership between you and your dad. I'm curious how you think about that when it's like, you obviously relate to someone as a friend, but then also now you're you're doing business with them. You have metrics that you have to hit. You know, they could walk away from you and pursue something else. You could fire them. Like, how do you navigate that? Well, I think the first thing going back to what I said is, you know, making sure that people know how much you care. And so that's a huge, huge part of that. And almost everything we do, my father and I are doing it together. If if they're separate companies, we have companies that tie in to help out. And so we've been going through that for a long time now, starting with our first company and other company. Um, we've had, he's had good friends involved. I've had good friends involved. And so, it, you know, we haven't had major falling outs. And it's just that super upfront transparency and being honest about how much you care. We had one employee that could have easily been a, a falling out, but 
we are very adamant that that can't happen and we won't let that happen. So it sounds like a cop out to say a little bit of who uh, my dad and I are, but we are, we are so adamant about the quality of life in our company. And especially with our two startups right now, it's a unique opportunity and it's not a corporate come sit at a desk and everything's figured out. And so it's a little bit of fun for everybody. So there's a little bit of, it's a little bit more relaxed in some ways, but there's no, no doubt that we, um, you know, you want people that you can butt heads with and then just high five afterwards. And I think we do a good job of that. And if anything, we're, we're overly cautious of that, but, you know, metrics in place so that goals and standards are there. And, you know, the people that we have around us are smart enough to know that if, if they're not doing it, they'll know. And so having one-on-one conversations, a lot transparent conversations and just genuinely focusing and caring about everyone's families. It's been a fault of mine and my father's has been sometimes focusing or relying too much on a relationship. And we got many other faults. Like we haven't borrowed money yet to start any of these companies, which in hindsight, I wish we would have done that in some ways. But yeah, so you know, we're still pretty early on and we've got a lot of people that are extremely driven and that makes it easy. And if you're successful, that typically makes it a little easy too. But had a, plenty of button heads, tough conversations and learning how to keep relationships. And so I, we've done a good job so far, but really the robotics and the weapons detection is uh, uh, will triple, quadruple the employees we've had. So we, uh, we haven't figured it out yet. We, <laughs> I'm sure we have some learning to do still. Yeah, absolutely. And great answer. I just love how you're reflecting on that. And have you, a lot of times, you know, we, in the whole world of culture, cult company culture, people go through like a values exercise where like, let's, let's identify the values that are important to us. And then what, what do those values actually look like in real life? Is that, is that an exercise that you've done before? Or is that more something that you and other executives on the team have just said, like, we're, we just want to live these out and example them and not actually go through the, the, the exercise. So. No, it's a great question. And we've got two aspects to that personally, and then with the business. And so personally, we take a page out of Dave Meltzer's um, book and teachings. <clears throat> he just talks about his non-negotiables and non-negotiables are health and your family. Those typically are the first two. And so making sure that everyone on the team has those non-negotiables and they're able to not let work get in the way. Don't want there to be any friction there that for some reason, because of work, you can't, you don't get to see your parents anymore. Or And so we make quality of life a huge thing for the company. So we have private calendars for when people need to step away or people need time off. And we like everybody can work at home. And so we've got some parameters that we have in our captain of your calendar meetings that that we'll go through and make sure everyone's okay. So we've got some unique things that we stay in touch. But I, I take that on me heavily to stay in touch with everybody. And we we really keep it to quality of life. And that's the same thing we use over again. And that encompasses everything. Like, how are things going? Is there anything you're frustrated that you haven't brought up? And that's why we have those one-on-one conversations. It's a great opportunity for candid conversations. And the team knows how much we care about their personal life. And it doesn't mean we we demand answers or details. That's not what I mean. But it's uh, if things aren't good, then we want you to take a couple of days off. A lot of examples we can do go there. So we certainly talk on it weekly with our team. It's not just a outfold and hey, how's your dating life go? That's that's not really what we mean. But 
we make sure everyone has their personal non-negotiables and we keep each other accountable. And for me, it's uh, mostly family, family time and health. There's, there's no, no doubt about that. Family, family time and sleep is what I think I want it to be, but I can't uh, sleep with a two and a half year old just doesn't really happen a whole lot at the moment, but it's something we talk, touch on all the time. And um, everybody in the group, we bring up Dave Meltzer a lot. And uh, that's a principle that gets touched on quite a bit is my non-negotiables are this and this, and I haven't been doing it. Thanks guys for the reminder. So we make sure it's up there and the employees know I ask all the time. It's important to me. Yeah. I'm going to need to get the name of that Dave Meltzer resource. That sounds like a really good one. Connected to goodness is the last book he did. Even if you just emailed it to him, he'd send it to you for free. He's uh he's extremely busy, extremely wealthy, extremely successful and extremely accessible. And he's uh he's changed my life. There's no doubt. And I'm very thankful for him. And when I talk about some of the stuff he does, like I said, sounds like I'm drinking some Kool-Aid from him somewhere, but that's okay. I like it. We all drink somebody's Kool-Aid at one point or another. So that's good. That's that's true. Yeah. Um, So I want to close just on two like personal items for, for you. Um, When you think about where you've been and where you're going, it sounds like with the projections you have with where the robotics company is going to head, like you're going to be 3x, 4xing company fairly quickly. Obviously, that's going to require a different sort of leadership from you than you know where you've been so far. So, what do you see as like important growth areas for you in the coming days? Yeah, there's no doubt that growth is being being a leader and being an operator. Um, we have you know with these emerging technologies, there's a lot of wheels that we don't need to reinvent, but there are a lot of wheels that we do. Autonomous robots are new. And people are getting a bit more used to them from delivering food, but there's a, a lot of nuances to to get through. Where I'm used to selling a product that everybody needs to some level, uh, low end or high end, the two companies we're doing now are brand new. People don't know anything about them, and even though they are going to be everywhere somewhere, my job is to bring them everywhere quicker and through us. And so. We've been very good at that national account, that relationship-focused, real big operating machine. But we, uh, we are in the world of quicker, quicker sales now, inbound sales, generating leads daily. So from a leader and business owner, operator side of things, that's a bit new, where I'm in a unique space where I kind of have a machine that I've built, and now I have two new technologies that are ready. I just got to build a team to sell them, which is kind of unique. Um, so it, sounds easier than it should have been for me. So I'm thankful for that. But managing time, there's no doubt, you know, I'm only 37. So got kids coming and life has never been busier, even with the travel that I used to do. So it's managing time, managing personal quality of life and managing a lot of people. That's relatively new. Trying to think, definitely need to keep learning to not wear multiple hats and to push off and trust. But, you know, I I do think I've always said things like surrounding myself um, with good people that keep me motivated and driven. And although I do, you know, depending on what your day-to-day life is like, you can kind of fall out of those habits. And I'm lucky enough to have some uh, networking groups here locally and some really special people and groups like the Black Diamond Club um, to spend time with and, you know, continue to ask for help and advice. Like I I need to not get complacent and just feel like we know what we're doing. constantly want to learn and to ask um, like our mutual uh, friend, Tony, 
you know, learning, asking, and growing is important to me so that I don't put everything on my shoulders like I've tended to do in the past while keeping track of everything that we're trying to figure out. So it's a little bit of a baptism by fire with robots and weapons detection. Yeah. But it's fun. So as far as what do I need to learn and get better at, it's almost everything. But um, I like the challenge and I'm extremely blessed. We have some incredible people working for us and around us already. So it makes my job a lot easier. Yeah, I love that. So we have a couple of things in common, both our age, as well as we both have two-year-olds. So I, I was woken up multiple times last night. So I, I know how you, I know how you feel. Um, so in the midst of that, you know, young kids, company leadership in a scaling company, you know, I want to close on like, if you had, you know, 30 minutes today or an hour this next weekend to do the thing that would recharge your battery the most, you know, fill up your soul, energize you, like what, what would that be? Very simple, very lame. I just love to, uh, to just be in my house doing absolutely nothing with my wife and my two and a half year old son. There is no doubt that that's what recharges me. My wife and I just went on a vacation for the weekend. And as great as that is, I wasn't really recharged until we got home and spent Sunday with my son. So it's a bit of a lame answer, but there is no doubt out of anything, even sports, diehard Colts and IE basketball fan. And man, I found myself missing a lot of the game uh, on Saturday just because I was hanging out with my son, Grant. So cheesy, but there's no doubt that that's what I need. Time with my wife, Jenna, and my son, Grant. That's it. That's awesome. So if someone wanted to check out what you're up to with Arbuckle Robotics, um, where would you point them to check you out and get in touch with you? Yeah, arbuckleRobotics.com. That's easy. My email to keep it easy can just be curtis.arbuckle at gmail instead of trying to pick one of the companies, uh, Curtis with a K. Uh, And yeah, love to talk, love to share. And for those in Indiana, the uh, weapons detection is something I'm extremely excited about. We're working with our state very closely to bring some proactive technologies to our schools to try to prevent some shootings. And so if uh, if anyone's going to see my name, I think uh, here in the next year, it'll be some of the cool things we're doing with the state. But arbucklerobotics.com is easy to remember. And curtis.arbuckle at gmail is easy to remember too. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Curtis. And um, I know folks will relate a lot to your story and, um, and we'll also include the information you shared in the show notes. So thanks. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.